0: Greetings and welcome to Under Consultation, your podcast guide to the wilderness years between the original Games Master and the 2021 reboot. I am your host for this episode, Ash Versus, using this opportunity to finger the index while Luke is away. The year is 2003, and whilst our focus thus far has been on those programs vying for Games Master's crown and audience, we would be remiss if we didn't revisit the other reason gamers tuned in to Channel 4 throughout the 90s. As we discussed back in Series 3, Digitizer burst onto our screens on the 1st of January 1993. Initially running for six days a week, its heady mixture of surreal humour, unique on-screen characters and video game news and reviews netted it a dedicated audience that, at its peak, reached over 1.5 million sets of eyes per day. Often at odds with the editorial team at Teletext, other gaming publications and user bases who felt their platform of choice was being unfairly criticised, Digitiser fought to maintain its identity and brand of humour until its original run on Teletext ended in March of 2003. In its 30th anniversary year, I would be ill-advised to attempt to tell the story of its demise and resurrection without some company. And what better excuse is there than this? To bring back one of its creators, or more accurately, co-creators?
2: yeah co yeah well yeah i co-created it uh with tim Moore, and it was very much our sort of joint sensibilities that turned it into whatever the hell it was that it became and then you know as i think the last time i was on here we discussed how tim uh left digitizer after the first four years and i carried on for the remaining six and a half or so for um all by myself um and uh Yes, through ups and downs, shall we say.
0: The voice you are hearing is the man who continues to carry its torch to this day. Paul Rose, a.k.a. Mr Biffo, a.k.a. a plethora of characters and alter egos.
2: Yes, I don't quite know how that's happened. I've become some sort of accidental character comedian. That was never on my uh, bingo card. Is it bingo card? Is that it? Paul's checklist? Checklist? Bucket list? I don't know. Uh, I think bingo I card like is a around. good analogy. Bingo card. There we go. Full house.
0: Let's just talk a little bit about going back to, I think, about 96, 97. There were some changes at play in Digitizer immediately after uh, Tim was fired, and particularly with your career and how you worked with uh, Teletext, because you, you you kind of got ahead of the curve by a good few decades and started working from home.
2: Yeah, well Tim, uh, Tim was let go uh, Thank you, Dave Perry,
0: which you can hear more about back in our interview with uh, Paul back in series three.:
2: It was very strange because up until the point that Tim was fired, they'd been kind of trying to transition me away from digitizer, because I think partly they thought uh, digitizer was some sort of bad influence on me, pun not intended and that Tim was going to be working from home is what was happening. And so they were trying to separate us and i was sort of being dragged back more towards doing graphics which is what i was originally hired to do at teletext until you know i realized that any graphics work that needed doing could be done in the sort of first half hour of the day and then that left me with the rest of the day to kind of you know find things to do which is why i ended up coming up with with digitizer and turn of the worm and other things and why like, tim and i spent a lot of the time messing about because there just wasn't a lot to do <laughs> frankly you know even digitizer we we you know it wasn't really a full-time job to be honest and then tim went and so they needed someone to carry on right digitising. the obvious person was me and suddenly i went from uh for a period of it was probably a month or so where they they tried to drag me away from digi they didn't entirely i still kept writing for it, you know, but they were trying to find more and more work for me to do that wasn't Digitizer. Um, So I went from that for about a month of of them doing that, um, the the bosses, to suddenly doing Digitizer full-time on my own in the office. And I did that for a few months, and then I just kind of thought, well, Tim was going to be working from home. I mean, admittedly, Tim was a freelancer. He he, He was on a freelance contract at Teletext. And they wanted a few people who had been hired in that capacity. And the idea was that the freelancers were all going to be working from home and not in the office, I only kind of contracted full time staff would be in the office. And I just thought, well, why don't I go freelance or ask them if I can go freelance and just do digitizer full time from home? Because by that point, I was starting to kind of get a bit of interest in, in writing for TV. And It was becoming sort of increasingly difficult doing that in the office, which I had been doing up to that point uh, without my bosses cottoning on. So I went and asked them, fully expecting them to say no. And they said, yeah, all right. And that was that. And then so for the remaining more than half of Digi's life, I I did it from home using a dial-up modem. to to dial in every morning to teletext systems and spent an hour writing digitizer in the mornings then the rest of the day uh i was writing scripts and setting them off to try and get tv work
0: where did your script writing actually begin because i know you did a radio script while still working with tim Mm. uh we two vets
2: that's it god whoa that's that's very well remembered or either that or very well researched, Ash. Well done.
0: Well, it was research and it was research I should have made as a note, but I didn't. Uh, well, it was research and remembered. So, you know, there go. <laughs> you get double points.
2: <laughs> well, what happened was we, we basically wrote that in the office, in the Teletext office, because we, we sat there kind of for a while going, oh, digitizer seems really popular. And we actually applied for uh, a few other teletexty kind of roles as a double act because we knew teletext seemed to hate us and had zero respect for digitizer itself uh, and so we, we we sort of tried to stay together as a bit of a double act and we, we tried a few different things and then we thought well why don't we try writing a script and for some reason we just thought well we'll write a radio script because that's probably easier to get made than a TV script and so we sent it off to a whole bunch of people we had absolutely no interest except from uh, the production company Planet 24, which was, was mainly known for doing The Big Breakfast. And the person there who read it and loved it was Robert Popper, the creator of Friday Night Dinner.
0: Look Around You as well. Look Around You, yeah.
2: uh, the time waster letters. And it was him and a guy called Mark Freeland who also worked in the development department. And it, Mark Freeland is is sort of now the head of, I think, comedy for NBC Universal in Europe and also has a, a featured role in the fat Les video for Vindaloo, if you remember that song.
0: <laughs> as, as much as I try not to, I cannot forget <laughs> Fat Les Vindaloo.
2: There you go. Um, so it was those two, and so we just kind of immediately went, oh wow, uh, this this writing lark's really easy. You kind of sell your first script. Um, and <laughs> then, of course, I didn't sell another one for like sort of six years after that or something. Tim and I, I mean, we got paid the pretty sum of 500 quid by Planet Twenty Four, for they optioned it. Basically, so we got two hundred and fifty quid each. They optioned it for a year, and then uh, there was a, a sitcom called Sunnyside Farm, which I don't know if you remember that. It was uh, written by Freddie and How. I think uh, it had Mark Addy in it, who was in um, For Monty and uh, Phil. Uh, God, what's his name? The guy that was in Quadrophenia. Anyway. It had, Phil Daniels uh, it had a, Phil Daniels that's it had a really good cast but it was oddly similar to We Two Vets which was about two rural vets who one of whom was sort of evil and the other one was an idiot you know their thing was set on a farm which you know it was very similar one was evil and one was an idiot and so it, that kind of killed it
1: now as proprietor of this institution I must ensure that all facilities are in immaculate condition including the hotel
2: shitter <laughs> Ah, an interesting case in point. Perhaps you'd like to have a look yourself, Kenneth. Did you notice anything awry? No. Mm, Perhaps you'd like to have another look?
0: No, no.
2: Kenneth!
1: (laughs) There was a pig in it.
0: So, even though Tim was gone from Teletext and you were now working from home, you continued to work on projects together as well as pursuing your own individual projects?
2: Yeah, so Tim and I just kept trying to write for a while while Tim was also trying to get uh, a book, travel book uh, sold, which he did eventually. He got paid a huge amount of money and then Tim had to kind of go around Iceland for, by himself for six months or something like that and then write the book. So that left me on my own to, to keep plugging away with this sort of TV writing dream. I did quite a bit of freelancing for various games magazines as well um, in my sort of post being in the office at, at Teletext period. Um, I mean, all of them. I wrote for loads, loads of future magazines. I can't even remember the, the names of all of them. Um, various PC ones, PlayStation magazines, the lot.
0: But eventually, and after you know a fair amount of perseverance and a lot of knockbacks, you did get that call from a producer at CITV?
2: CITV happened um, bizarrely, actually, kind of as a result of Digitizer. Uh, I um, and partly as a result of We Two Vets. Initially, uh, I was contacted by a producer at um, CITV who had seen a website that I'd set up called Bubblegum, which was intended to be a sort of general pop culture version of Digitizer on the web. Uh, as it was called then, The Web. God, that sounds, sounds really old-fashioned now, doesn't it? Um, and I kind of translated various bits of Digi to Bubble Gun, including the snakes. I, I did a snakes cartoon. Um, if anyone remembers the, the Digi characters, the snakes, who, you know, I cuss you bad and I cuss your mum and all that. And this producer at CITV had seen that cartoon and really liked it. And he invited me in to pitch for um, an animated show they were doing, which I don't quite know why he thought I would be a good fit for it, but the snakes had made him laugh. So um, uh, that didn't pan out, but shortly afterwards, I was just on the cusp of uh, giving up on TV writing. I'd had various sort of near misses and things and meetings that had not panned out or I'd met people who I felt had... Kind of ripped me off a bit, um, and I was feeling very disillusioned with the whole thing, and about to give up when I got a phone call from a, the producer of Sooty, believe it or not, who was friends with Robert Popper, who had recommended me for being a, 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 a good writer because uh, he'd read my stuff, and he was like, "Oh, he's this new, young, up and coming writer. Um, it'd be a great fit for Sooty." And so she asked me, "Would you like to write Sooty?" And I was like, "Sure." Yeah. It's like sooty. It's like, and it was going to be the sooty 50th anniversary series. So I was like, well, in there. Um, And around the same time, I also got commissioned by Robert Popper, who was now at Channel 4, to write the script for an animated comedy lab called Knife and Wife. And these two things sort of happened simultaneously. Um, I can't remember which one ended up on TV first, whether it was sooty or Knife and Wife, but they were very close together.
1: Cherry tells me you've had a loft conversion done, Buffy.
0: Hmm. You ought to get one, knifey boy. And put another 25 grand on the value of our place. Yes, except that in your case, it's a bit like putting lipstick on a dead tramp and pretending he's a supermodel. Uh, What do you mean?
1: Charlton, don't you have a friend who converts loft? Yeah. He's got a ladder and everything. You know, ours was only 15,000 pounds. (laughs) Well, do I
0: take that to mean you won't be getting a loft con, old boy? Not for 15
1: bloody grand
0: we won't. Well, why don't you get out a bank loan? That's what I did. Yes, and I imagine the manager also let you fondle his buttocks. What? No, of course not.
1: Don't worry, Buffy, he's just jealous because I won't fondle his buttocks.
2: <sighs> hmm. Knife and Wife didn't happen, the comedy lab didn't go anywhere. I mean, it had an amazing cast, but it wasn't very well written, by my own admission. Uh, but the... The Sooty job led to me writing on My Parents Are Aliens and, uh, yeah, being sort of one of the the sort of core CITV writers for a a good few years. Um, So, yeah, so, you know, and that was my big break, really,
0: was writing Sooty, believe it or not. I find it a surreal path that you got to Sooty, but also I'm just thinking, yeah, I can see that, because Sooty itself is a very surreal series. Even if you just look at if you just take the concept of a man with a small bear that is mute, a dog that can squeak, and a panda that has full grasp of the English language.
2: Yeah, it's nuts. I mean it was an amazing uh kind of school for writing because you had there are a whole bunch of challenges there. You know, the two main characters, one as you say, can't speak or can only speak in whispers that the audience can't hear. The other one is unintelligible. And they had to carry the show. You only had 12 minute episodes and there had to be an A story and a B story in that. And it was an incredibly uh, intense sort of lesson in how to structure scripts for TV. I loved working on Sooty. It was an absolute joy. Um, and, you know, we, because we were, or the second series I worked on, worked on was actually the 50th anniversary one. And we were discussing and it was me i was the lead writer the second series they made me the lead writer on it and the script editor and i basically had full creative control over sooty and we actually came very very close to giving sooty a voice for his 50th anniversary we discussed it uh and we came very close and we actually took it to the bosses at citv and said we're thinking about having sooty talk for the very first time and they were like yeah go for it but actually it was us that, that chickened out we just thought there's no voice that's going to work and we're going to be crucified if we do this uh and it'll be all over the papers but we'll get into trouble we just thought we can't do it i mean i wanted to give him like a thick glaswegian accent <laughs> just kind of you know whatever you know, you did not expect.
0: Get, get Billy Connolly in to voice sooty. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, you would need that. You would need someone like that or, or Ian McKellen or someone with a really, you know, huge star with a really iconic voice.
0: I'm genuinely shocked that CITV and the bosses were the ones that were like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like, I thought yeah, that would be the point it. where they go, do you not understand the value of this brand?
2: Well, they wanted us to, to sort of shake it up and kind of make it a bit more... I don't know, just do something a bit more sort of modern with it, I guess. And to do something big for the 50th anniversary. If I remember, the thing we did in the end for the 50th anniversary was have an episode where Sootsie went to the Natural History Museum. Because that's all the budget sort of extended to. And we did an episode with uh, Carol Smiley and Handy Andy from Changing Rooms. Uh, I have to say, I'm most pleased with your work today, Andrew. Most pleased.
0: Uh, Just call me Andy, Mr Butch.
2: Oh, right. Well, Andy... You can do things with medium-density fiberboard
0: that most people can only dream of. OK. I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> the best thing is, is because of the way we structure these episodes, is now when I'm editing this, I'm going to be going on YouTube going, can I find clips from those episodes to oh, drop yeah, in? Oh, yeah, you can. You can. Oh, excellent. The,
2: the best one is, uh, there's an episode called Night of a Thousand Bears. That was my favourite one, which was my homage to Gremlins, where... Uh, Sue basically is left in charge of the hotel that they run and she basically has a nervous breakdown uh, and tries to basically becomes a fascist dictator and so you have Sue she steals Sooty's wand and she magics up thousands of sooties and uh, they're basically her loyal servants and you have this insane scene where Sue is uh, kind of standing on a podium, addressing this crowd of sooties, like it's sort of a Nuremberg rally or something like that. While she's, uh, yeah, while she's going full megalomaniac.
1: Now listen here, you sooties. I want you to know that I am the boss, and that you've got a lot of work to do. Is that clear? Good. Because there are beds that need making, dishes that need cleaning and cobwebs that need dusting. I am going to work you sooties harder than you've ever worked before. But together we can make this the cleanest hotel in the world! What? Don't you think I should say please? No sweep.
0: Never mind for the show. I'm just going to track that down for my own personal entertainment. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Turn to page 200
0: for the largest choice of flights and holidays throughout the world. From Britain to the Bahamas, from safaris to water sports, you'll find Abda travel agents offering their best prices. All this on Teletext, ITV page 200. And so we find ourselves in the latter half of 2001 and faced with a subject that I Really hoped I'd never have to talk about in any real way on this podcast. 9 11 is surprisingly influential both over your career and digitizer, and there is therefore no way to not at least address that fact because it impacted the very business model of teletext.
2: It did, yeah. Well, you know, as uh, those of a certain vintage you will remember Teletext primarily made its money through cheap holiday adverts that that was its whole thing uh, which is why when Teletext the medium uh, was switched off Teletext became a holiday company that's all they are now in fact I don't even know if they exist but Teletext Limited became Teletext Holidays the holiday or the, the travel industry got massively hit by 9-11 and The logic of that would be like, okay, so Teletext is, uh, you know, suddenly going to be strapped for cash, uh, you know, until the the industry recovers. So their reaction to that um, and the way that they were going to get through the whole hit to the travel industry was to pull me into the office and tell me to take all the humor out of Digitizer and get rid of the silly characters (laughs) <laughs> um, and, and just make it a kind of very dry very serious ordinary video games page so uh you know you can see the logic there
0: it's so weird because you get those moments where you know people have been you know people people look for justification to a means to an end yeah. and it's it's fair to say that you either by yourself or with Tim, had butted heads with editorial at Teletext throughout digitizers run right up until that point. There'd been complaints of various kinds and various times. Obviously, I'm guessing that at least some people in the position of power at Teletext were looking for reasons to take you down a notch. Um, I think the the one bit i remember from when i was reading up on um, your games of your life uh, column that you did for mm-hmm. digitizer 2000 is your the humor was criticized for being exclusionary
2: yes well what happened is is the previous editor um, had left and a new guy had taken over at the top and he had previously been a sub editor he was basically promoted from a rank and file sub editor all the way to the top to editorial director in the space of about three months it was quite bewildering so i think everyone was like what the hell but i remember the day he started and he we went out for a drink after work just a whole bunch of us and he was there making his way around the the pub with a notepad and talking to people and writing down facts about them and you just kind of went wow he's ambitious he doesn't want to forget anything about anyone. But anyway, he, as a sub-editor, he used to be quite ruthless with Digitizer in, in ways that I didn't necessarily agree with. Rather than ring me up and kind of go, can you change the wording of this or this seems that sounds a bit iffy, he'd literally just cut out entire paragraphs. So you'd have a page with just one or two paragraphs on it and a big blank space at the bottom that looks terrible give me the give me the option to to at least write something to fill that that space rather than just cut out a block of text and i think i even said this at one point can you get him to to call me rather than just go in and edit the page so that it looks terrible and and he did he called me one day and he said uh right i need you to change um something on one of your pages and i i if anyone remembers digitizing we used to or teletext there used to be at the bottom of every page a kind of trailer or link a banner for other sections so you'd have like oh pat on page 153 or whatever boozler or you know go to the news page 101 and I had uh, a thing that said at the bottom finger the index page 100 um, now <laughs> the obvious pun there to me was index fingers. Yeah. Okay, it sounds a little bit saucy, but that was the play on words. And he rang me up and he says, yeah, um, you've got to change that. And I said, why? I said, it just refers to index fingers. He said, well, you know, because like, you know why? You know why? And I said, I don't. No, sorry. Yeah, playing, playing innocent. And he said, well, because of like fingering. <laughs> and, and I said, well, that wasn't what I meant. But he made me change it. Anyway, my card was marked from that day. He brought in some new staff, and in particular, he brought in a new deputy editor who had been there, I think, in the space of a week or two, um, shortly after 9-11. And he was just asked, he'd been asked, apparently, to do something about digitizer. And so it, it was the deputy editor who, who decided that this is what needs doing. And he, I, they brought me in for this meeting it was good cop bad cop there was this nice deputy editor and this really unpleasant new one who it was it was genuinely to this day the worst meeting I've ever had and one of the worst hours of my life because it was like I was put on trial. They got out all these printouts and none of them, there was nothing rude or dodgy on any of these printouts. It was just silly humour. It was just typical digitizer stuff. And they were showing me these bizarre things like the Man Diary as well as sort of saying, this humour isn't funny. Um, you know, it, it excludes people. It's it's a very niche. It's too bizarre. You know, you've got to get rid of it. And oh, by the way, they threw this, they, they opened with all the whole, or this guy opened with the whole um, you know, it's not funny, so so make it definitely not funny. I don't know, it's bizarre when you think about it. You know, st- stop, well, take the humour out because the humor's not funny, so make the not funny thing even more not funny, if you know what I mean. Uh, make it normal, basically, was what they were saying, but they, did, they didn't come out like that. Um, so they opened with all that, and then at the very end they said, oh, by the way, we're reducing digitizer down to three days a week and cutting your salary in half. And that was the real whammy because, you know, my TV career was sort of in its very early stages. You know, I had three kids, a mortgage, um, you know, a family to support. And I just walked out of there in an absolute freaking days. Um, it was just just awful. And it was all done on the, the, the uh, as you say, the, the excuse that, that some terrorists have flown planes into buildings in America, which is insane.
0: Even after all this time, it's still absolutely blows my mind that someone at a management level could look at something like 9-11 and go, that's it. That's, a, that's the excuse I've been waiting for. Yeah, it's a good day to bury digitizer. I just can't fathom. And this is a, someone that's been a line manager. If you're going to cut someone's hours, you lead with that. you think so, wouldn't
2: you? But no, that wasn't the thrust of it. And the thing is, what... <sighs> What I sort of hate to this day is that I kind of took took it. I took the sort of crumbs from their table and and swallowed this bitter pill because I needed the money. I didn't have any other income at that point, really. I think, you know, as I say, you know, the TV work was, was very embryonic. And so I had no choice. I had to, you know, still pay the bill. So I had to kind of take my salary uh, being cut in half and accept that. And also, I had to get rid of the, the, the bit about Digitizer that I really love, which was the stuff that I found funny um, and that I knew that oh, I suspected a lot of other people did, despite whatever this guy, this deputy the editor, told me. And for a year, that's how it was. Well, the best part of a year, that's how Digitizer um, existed. It was, uh, you know, and it really... Um, and I don't know if I've ever properly talked about this but it really hit me hard um, that year I, I I was in a bad way you know because I it, it, I really loved doing it and I was really proud of it and even though we were um, we got paid as troublemakers partly justified but also a lot of that was exaggerated you know I always saw it as in Sooty funny enough coming back to Sooty is a good example of I was also writing to what I saw as the brief. We were writing at Video Games Magazine. I'd grown up with your Sinclair. They were all irreverent, the games mags that I grew up with. They all had a slightly surreal twist to them. They weren't dry. They weren't serious. They had personality. And that's what we tried to bring to digitizer. And when I was writing for Sooty, there's no way I'd have put in inappropriate jokes in that. It was a, It was a show for little kids. You know, I, I didn't put in subversive stuff into digitizer just for the sake of it. I did it because that I knew the audience would respond to because of the audience it was aimed at. Um, but but certain people within Teletext just saw that as oh troublemakers. And ironically, you know, the more they saw that we were like that, the, the harder we we and I tried to kind of get stuff past them. You know, because it was a, a two fingers to them. It was like, well. You know, if you're going to kind of read things into it. I mean, I remember another one, the same guy, the, the guy that became editor, rang me up about, um, there, was a, there was a reference to the three R's. And, I, you know, you have to be really old to know what the three R's are, reading, writing, arithmetic. It was a, a whole thing back in the 50s and 60s. And we had a reference to the three R's. And he rang up asking me to take it out because the three R's sounded a bit like the three R's. Uh, And even when he rang me up, couldn't even fully explain what it was that was offensive about the phrase the three R's, which was an established thing. Another time we got asked to take out, uh, uh, and I had to explain this, a reference to multiple sclerosis, because I'd abbreviated master system to MS. And so they were just seeing things that weren't there a lot of
0: the time. That is looking for reasons to be offended. And I guess maybe part of it ties back to they didn't find it funny. So they thought the humour was exclusionary, not because people didn't find it funny, but specifically because they did and they weren't in on the joke.
2: Yeah, I think that's it. And no one likes to be on the outside of of a joke. Everyone else is laughing and they're not. And I think it it angered them. It irritated them, but but it wasn't aimed at them. It wasn't aimed at a bunch of middle-aged sub-editors and... people like that it was aimed at 14 year old kids who played video games that's who we were writing for really and we were writing for the uh, the, the our inner 14 year olds as well and you know i'd like to think we did a good job of that uh, but you know it wasn't until the very end that Teletext seemed to appreciate that that yeah we did do something right
0: whilst i was preparing for this interview i spent a lot of time on super page 58 and i was actually able to go And see the before and after and the fallout of that meeting. A super page 58, by the way, amazing website. This episode would not exist without it. If you've any interest in kind of the archives of Digitizer and what was actually posted on Teletext, that's the place to go and see a lot of it because they're like, they're recovering swathes. Like, it's amazing how many pages of your work on Digitizer are now preserved.
2: It's brilliant. Well, Chris Bell. Um, who, I mean, funny enough, uh, Superpage 58 is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, the same as we're, you know, celebrating our 30th. And Chris Bell, who, yeah, has become, who runs it, has become the premier digitizer archivist. Uh, he's actually, I've, I've handed over a huge swathe of uh, this summer's digitizer live to it, because he knows more about it than I do. So he's putting something together that, that I'm just going to be kind of in the middle of. As I say, he, he just knows everything and it's exhaustive. Not only are they recovering pages, but he's interviewed people who we've got a bit of history with. And I think for the Digitizer Live in the summer, he's going to be speaking to all sorts of people, including teletext management, about Digitizer. So that should be interesting. And I can't pretend I'm not a little bit nervous about that.
0: 9th of October. 2001 that was when the humor was just eviscerated from from digitizer for want of a better word and you go and you look at the archive and you can i think that exact day is missing but you can obviously see just before and then you can see in the immediate aftermath it's shocking the loss of voice i think is the best Mm. way i can put it is you can tell that your voice was removed and i can entirely understand why that would be absolutely devastating and demoralizing When it happened, it wasn't with an announcement, or at least not an announcement by you. Obviously, people noticed, and at least one of the regular writers for Digitizer, Stuart Campbell, didn't help matters because he went quite public on what was happening to Digitizer. He posted on his own website uh, saying that you'd been instructed to produce a daily mag indistinguishable from GameZone on CFAX, itself the teletext equivalent of a bad issue of PlayStation Max, Except less hard hitting. Didn't necessarily help matters for you, but it did start a kind of, I guess, a groundswell movement because at its peak, Digitizer was like a million and a half views a day.
2: Yeah. I mean, we were hugely, hugely popular. I mean, it was all quite abstract at the time. But I think even though we got those figures and numbers, It's hard to kind of wrap your head around that and how much of that audience, you know, and and I'm pretty sure, you know, half that audience just read it more than half, probably just read it because it was there. Oh, it's some video game stuff and it's there daily. And, you know, I'm sure a big portion of those people, we pissed off on a daily basis. And yet there was also a big chunk who absolutely loved our voice and loved the style that we brought to it and the stupidity and the characters and the irreverence and everything else. And yeah, inadvertently, thanks to Stuart going public and making things slightly awkward and difficult for me, it, what happened was was a letter writing. It wasn't even a campaign. There was nothing organised. It was just letters came in every single day into teletext. And I had a friend who worked there who lived around the corner from me because long roundabout way I helped him get the job he was sort of our our letters guy at Teletext he used to get the letters pick them up and he worked in the office and he'd type them in and he would get the letters every day and they just didn't stop for a year Um, and eventually Teletext realised oh we've made a mistake we've fucked up by kind of asking him to get rid of all the the humour this was a thing that was beloved we need to backtrack and we need to do it now. And so they brought me in again for another meeting. It was the same guy who had been horrible to me the year before. Rang me up really <laughs> sheepishly and um, said, yeah, um, yeah, hi, Paul. Hi, how are you? You know, we'd like you to come in for a meeting. So I went in. He was silent throughout the entire thing. And it was another deputy editor who was in there. And she was lovely to me. Um, and she said, we'd like Digitizer to go back to being five or six days a week. You know, yes, we've listened to people and, uh, you know, they, they didn't like it being reduced to three days a week and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, and I thought, oh, this is all good. Okay, but no mention of humour or characters. And then as I was being led out with a slight spring in my step, I was being led out by the guy who had been on Horrible Me the year before. And he mumbled under his breath, oh, um, yeah, we'd uh, uh, we'd like to bring back all the humour and the characters, please. And it was like a real punch the air moment for me i mean i managed to just about keep it together and not punch the air it was like the biggest you saw this guy practically choking on the humble pie that he was trying to cut you know get down his throat uh and it was it was like a sort of hollywood moment for me because i'd had this year of just feeling absolutely shit and wretched about how they're treated me and for digitizer viewers who i'll never be able to thank enough just for giving me that win and for supporting us um and then i don't know five months later i resigned (laughs) so but it felt like i'd kind of achieved yeah we'd got back to what we had to be yeah we'd got back to that style but i i i I don't know i felt like well where do it where do i go from here
0: in addition to the letter writing like the the viewership dropped like i think you lost like two-thirds Two thirds of the lot. viewers. And they,
2: you know, the company survived on advertising. So that was massive for them. It was that as much as anything. And you just kind of go, wow, people really were reading it for the, the, the stupidity, the surrealness. Uh, and they obviously realised that as well. Yeah. I mean, it was a huge drop in numbers.
0: The bureaucrats and the pencil pushers that didn't get the sense of humour must have gone, huh, maybe it's me. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm the flaw in this equation. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. So here we are. It's the tail end of 2002 channel 4 have backed down and actually gone back on themselves the humor returns without kind of any big to do you just bring it back and then early december 2002 it was one of your co-writers that was also working on digitizer they kind of gave you the heads up you were being called in for another meeting
2: well yeah he called me up it's the same guy gavin who who was there as our letters writer, letters input. He did other stuff around the office, but one of the things he did was write digitizers, uh, tips pages, input our letters, which I would then answer. Um, and he used to sort of compile the charts. So he did those. And then, yeah, he rang me up and said, um, oh, I think uh, there's something bad coming your way, just to let you know. And he said, and I was like, oh, God, not again. Um, here we go again. So I hung up from him. Phone rang, it was the unpleasant guy again. And he said, Hi, Paul, we'd like you to come in for a meeting next week. And uh, I was like, Oh, okay, yep, yep, yep. And I came off the phone and I sort of paced around the room a bit for about 10 minutes. And I just thought, I can't do this again. I cannot go through that again. It had so hurt me the previous time. And I rang him back like 10 minutes later and said, um, Yeah, uh, about that meeting next week, actually i think i want to stop doing digitizer now please and the guy did not know what to say and he sort of stumbled over his words and then went oh only we were going to ask you to expand the section um, <laughs> and i was like and i went i had this weird moment of oh shit <laughs> um, and also no i've done the right thing it felt, it's still to this day i knew it was the right call in that moment and looking back it was absolutely the right thing to do but of course there was that little moment of oh oh i just badly shot myself in the foot but i mean i could do it because by this point my tv writing career had started to sort of show signs of being quite healthy um you know i was kind of getting more work in tv the citv stuff was happening you know i was by this point uh, writing My Parents Are Aliens, it looked like I was going to be writing on EastEnders, and so I just took the gamble. But yeah, who knows? If I'd have stayed, who knows what that expanded digitizer would have been like.
0: If you're being asked to come in for a meeting or the phone rings and you recognise the number as being someone from higher up and you're instinctively flinching, that's the time to, 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 to call it quits because you shouldn't be living in fear of those above you.
2: Well, this is the thing. I mean, digitizer has sort of got this legend of being a bit naughty and i guess we were but also i think i've helped stoke that a bit and it's sort of been a self-fulfilling prophecy in the um you know the more we had that reputation the more i sort of pushed it with things like zombie dave and and the like you know but zombie dave you know really if a kid read that it would just sound like gibberish it was only you know when it was translated by naughty 14 year olds <laughs> Um, that <laughs> they realised that Zombie Dave was absolutely foul mouth I mean no sub editor ever got it ever but also I think a lot of the treatment we got was sort of unfair really we had a line most of the time that that we stayed on the right side of I feel for our audience that we were aimed at it was just the the, the thing that we hit up against most was just just the people that we worked for didn't get it. They just didn't get it. They didn't understand what we were doing or why we were doing it or why anyone would possibly think it was funny, ever. And a lot of it, I look back on a lot of those pages and I go, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't seem funny to me at all either. A lot of it, I kind of think, wow, that's uh, it's just weird. And I don't even know why that, that should be considered humour. But, you know, I was a much younger man. So
0: you had essentially handed in your notice. You were going to work out a three to four month um, notice period while Teletext worked out what the hell they were going to do with the game pages. Digitizer was also approaching its 10th anniversary. And in, I think, a relatively rare moment, you would just actually gotten some major press coverage for Digitizer in Edge magazine.
2: Yeah, to the point that after being interviewed by Edge, I rang them up and said to them, oh, I've quit and they had to kind of put in this little paragraph at the end of this interview and it was a lovely kind of, you know, it was a, felt like a real honour to be featured in Edge in that way, you know, this highbrow magazine covering another magazine, that seemed pretty unprecedented, I don't know if Edge have ever done that with any other publication, uh, you know given that we were effectively a rival magazine it was weird, it all felt like the right time, it being ten years, and obviously the internet was coming up and Digitizer's unique selling point—the thing that made Digitizer really popular—it wasn't the humor, it wasn't anything else. It's the fact we were daily and we were just there on people's TVs, you know. But but people were online uh, by the time Digitizer went away, and so we couldn't really compete with the internet. You know, I, and I knew that on some level. I knew that our days were numbered. And so, sort of taking control of that situation and going, no, I'm getting out now on my terms. While I've got the upper hand, you know, and while I'm in control of this, you know, it, it, it's now to get out, you know, while digitizers at, at, at its highest, really. I mean, we weren't at our highest in viewership because a lot of those viewers never came back. But certainly getting the coverage in Edge, certainly getting, you know, the chance to bring all the characters back and go all out with the humour and everything else. Having that, all of it came together and it just felt like the right time.
0: I think we talked about it before. The final edition of Digitizer goes out over the weekend of the 8th and 9th of March with possibly the most deliberately explicit joke in Digitizer's history. Yes.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, we have, again, this is the sort of thing about me talking about. Um, it feeding into our our own legend. <laughs> you know, it's like people you know, saw us as a bit risque and it's like, well, I'll just draw a large ejaculate penis on the screen and say it's a worm being sick. And it got through, which I didn't expect. But I mean, what were they going to do at that point? Fire me? Um, but no, they weren't just not going to fire me. They literally, whoever cleared that, whichever sub-editor saw that page, either didn't see anything wrong with it or just kind of went oh to hell with it let him have it
0: (laughs) it's his last one i I really (laughs) want to believe it's the latter i I don't want to imagine that there is anyone in this world that did not look at the real turn of the worm being sick and didn't get what it was because they clearly missed sex education at school I, i want to believe that they were just like no we should let this one ride we've dicked around enough we should let it go. I guess here we are, 2023, it's the 30th anniversary of Digitizer, and so to celebrate it we've just talked about Digitizer's death. Well, it's at the end of its first life. It's, we're both Doctor Who fans, its first regeneration.
2: Yes, there we go. <laughs> There's,
0: There's a, a channel Ch- you can turn on 24 hours a day for the very latest information on sport, constantly updated news, international and regional, TV gossip, local cinema,
1: and music plus the latest information on holidays, finance, the environment and more. And amazing thing about this channel, you already have it. Teletext, the information channel exclusively on ITV and channel 4 Would you like a Zhujan? Would you like it fast? like in the next couple of minutes? Yeah, then call me Zhujan Jean, owner of Zhujan John's delicious golden Zhujan delivery. I am 100% Zhujan man. Seriously, I actually have a psychological condition. I'm sick, so very sick in the head. Here's the Zhujan John promise. Call. With your order, I will deliver your Zhujan in moments. Even if you don't call, I'm still coming over with my Jujans, and I won't take no for an answer, I'll shove my Jujans right through the front door, I'll throw them at your house, warning, if you see Jujan John near your home, do not approach him, I will only force you to try my Jujans, Jujan John's, Jujans taste bad. Yeah. So, to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, get 20, 20, get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. Sold! give it a try at slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full turns at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Yes, Daddy, yes. At
0: last, a cave full of lickable otters. That's right, Otter Lick Cave is the only attraction where the staff don't care if you lick the otters. Here at Otter Lick Cave, We have almost 17 days otters just wandering around the cave just waiting to be licked. Best of all, the staff really will turn a blind eye while you crouch down and
2: run your tongue along their backs. You can even lick the tops of their heads, their flanks or their bellies and none of our employees will say a thing. So, don't delay, book your tickets to Otter Lick Cave today.
0: The otters don't taste so good, but hey, at least you or say you've done it. Uh. Digitizer is gone. Your TV writing career is taking off. You launch MrBiffo.com. Yep. Continue to write stuff there. You also have an online community, uh, the board of Biffo. I know it became a less than pleasant place as time went on.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't mind talking about it a bit because, I mean, it was it was quite a... Uh, it was a lovely community for a long time and I'm actually still friends with some of the people from it. Um, it just, as any of these things go, just over time, it sort of broke down. I underestimated the amount of moderation it would require. I don't know. I, I, I had enjoyed it in its early days of it being this fun community and we'd sort of have meetups and go out and go paintballing and go for drinks and stuff like that and go to clubs. It was great. And then, I don't know. I don't really know what happened, but I, I, the turning point really was, I think it was felt that some of my moderation was a bit heavy handed because I would, uh, what was happening was people were feeling attacked and I was getting messages from those people going, this person's being shit to me. So you know, and there'd be a pattern of that and I'd end up banning them. And then those people that got banned set up their rival uh board where which seemed dedicated to just slagging off people on the board of Biffo and slagging off me. And then it escalated quite severely in that I genuinely had stuff sent to my house. I had people put my address online, my home address online and you know, in what would now be called doxing. It got really, really unpleasant. And at the same time, I was sort of going through a a marriage breakup, frankly. Um, So I wasn't, I didn't need it on top of that. You know, I didn't need all that sort of drama going on at the same time. So it ended badly. And in the end, because, you know, the big no-no, I ended up just, just deleting the entire thing one day because it just got so out of control. Uh, i just deleted the entire thing and some people took that badly as well uh but it had become more trouble than it was worth but at that point i just kind of went you know what there was you know shit being posted about me online there was accusations of this that and the other and it was just i just thought i just don't need this and that was the point at which i went you know what i'm done with mr biff i'm done with everything to do with digitizer and this was in early 2008 and i just thought i just don't need this hassle i've got enough of my own stuff to sort out offline that i needed to focus on that and that's what i did for the next i don't know seven years something like that
0: it was uh, february 2008 because you'd also just finished up your final biffo vision for edge yeah
2: well i quit that because of all the trouble i quit that at the same time i just thought i don't need this i just want to go away this has now sort of caused me a great deal of upset, um, and but it was upset on top of stuff, some sort of fairly heavy stuff going on. As I say, in my personal life, that you know, and it was all sort of bleeding into one another. And I just thought, this is just this is not real life. I need to get away from it, and I need to sort out what really matters and look after my kids and stuff. So I didn't look back. I didn't look back for years. I didn't didn't so much as. Hidden an online presence for a very very long time and it was great and I loved it for a long time just not existing
0: You turned your back on being Biffo you you left it behind I mean personally from my perspective I don't blame you uh, at all and then we fast forward to 2014 the end of 2014 when a figure that has history with Games Master and has history with under consultation as a result kind of caused you to start to turn back one Brad Burton I started my business off 25 grand in debt no income I ended up delivering pizzas to keep the business afloat I was 31 I felt like a piece of shit that was 14 years ago but what I should have been doing is patting myself on the back Uh, yes God you have his book did you have that already? This book cost me 75p from a charity shop. <laughs> Amazing. Brad was the inspiration for a digi character. And mm-hmm. then you read one of Brad's books. By accident. I can't quite remember what, how I
2: stumbled upon it. But I saw the name Brad Burton. I went, that can't be the same Brad Burton. Surely he's not writing self-help guides. Surely. you know, Because we'd base this character of Cyber X on him back in the day on Digitizer, as a games journalist who wrote about anything other than games. I know, ironic, you know, hypocrite here. You know, we had... <laughs> we rarely got through a games review without having some weird tangent. I know. But bad had a... I remember a column in one of... Whichever magazine he wrote in that was basically all his clubbing exploits. And that's what CyberX was. And anyway, I just thought... I. Stumbled upon this fact that, that, that Brad Burton was now some sort of self-help guru. And I went down this rabbit hole and started reading his book. And it was just jaw-dropping. And it just got me thinking, wow, what would... If I did that with the character, you know, that, that trajectory of having the character of Cyber X now some sort of self-help guru. And I wrote this piece and showed it to, to my partner, now my wife. And she just thought it was hysterical because she'd been following this whole Brad Burton thing because I've been reading out quotes from his book to her as I was going through it. And she read this thing that I wrote and she thought, oh, it's so good. You should share it. And then I think I had about a week of real anxiety of like going, well, should I share it? Should I kind of bring Mr. Biffo back out of retirement? Do I want to do this? Um, And I had a Twitter account you know, because I've, I've taken that up when all the unpleasantness had happened just to stop other. Because I've had loads of people pretending to be me online. Loads of people. It may have been one person. I don't know. It's the joy of the internet. So I kind of signed up to Twitter as Mr. MrBiffo, so, you know, to cyber squat so no one else could steal the name. So I had that account. I've never posted a thing on it. Eventually, I kind of thought, well, <sighs> I'm a different person now. You know, even if I get shit thrown my way and i was fully expecting to get some initially i thought well i can handle it i'm thicker skinned i don't really care i'm older i'm wiser you know i've spent two and a half years training to be a psychotherapist you know i would sorted my shit out um I'd, I'd, i was in a great relationship and i was just had my feet on the ground you know i had solid foundations beneath me so i thought well if worse comes to the worst then, Everything starts up again. I can handle it, so I thought on it, and I bought the the domain name Digitizer Two Thousand. I put this piece on it, and then I just started tweeting random jokes and random weird things. And some people had obviously followed me over the years, and were just like, "What the hell? What, what, Mister Biffo? What?" Um, and they started getting shared, and it just sort of snowballed that without kind of doing any sort of big announcement, just kind of secretly tweeting. And I mean, when I sent those first tweets, I was, <clears throat> you know, deep, sharp intake of breath, you know, braced for it. Like, here we go. And it never really came. There was a bit of, you know, few people online, kind of like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. He's going to flip out again. He's a lunatic. He's a nutto, He's going to, you know... And I just thought, okay, well, that's fine. I'm going to show you that I'm not, you know, at least not in that way. I'm not who you all kind of thought I was that was it really and it went down well and then I just started posting stuff to digitizer 2000 and started engaging with people on twitter and as I say it snowballed from there and it was lovely it was lovely generally people were really really lovely I've never even in the nearly 10 years that I've sort of been back or in the online world I've not really had any trouble. And we did have one guy a couple of years ago try to blackmail us over Venus, but beyond that, uh, yeah, I know it was genuinely. I had to get the police involved, um, but wow. that, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, <laughs> that was fun. You know, second time in my life I've had to involve the police with online lunatics, but beyond that, there's not really been any trouble. I've not regretted it even once coming back, and I'm glad I did. I mean, the thing. That, that perhaps surprised me. Surprised? Yeah, I suppose it did. It took a while to kind of accept that sort of in those seven years, six, six seven years or whatever that I was away, the world moved on. You know, the gaming world moved on quite dramatically. You know, the, you know it was all about YouTube and influencers. And even though there is still an, an audience out there who remember Digitizer... They'd all sort of grown up and moved on. And so I guess me coming back didn't create a massive stir that i perhaps embraced for. You know, I was able to kind of come back a lot more sort of under the radar than if I'd come back five years previously, I guess. You know, if I'd just got to pop my head up up a a year after I'd disappeared, it probably would have been a lot more of a a shitstorm. But as it turned out, it was... uh, yeah, it was all a lot more low
0: key than I expected. I'm trying to remember when I found out you were back and I'm I know that I was definitely following you under wherever you are nine exploits before we get to our next stop, which is the Block Party 2016, uh-huh. which was Teletext and Digitizer Festival, uh, taking place at the Centre for Computing History in Cambridge. I mean, I think this did a couple of things. It obviously gave a very nice platform for both Teletext and Digitizer, but also it gave birth to, I guess, your your next big self-propelled creative venture with Mr. Biffo's found footage.
2: Yeah, well, what led to me being kind of quite involved with that was I'd given a talk at, um, I think it was Play Expo. Is it Play Expo? I can't yeah. Yeah, it was so, yeah. I've gone on stage and kind of, it was weird. It was like, oh, I'm not nervous in front of an audience, uh, like at all, uh, and I'm not to this day. It's very strange, uh, whereas I had been years and years before. And so I thought, oh, well, we perhaps we could do a sort of, in the evening of this block party thing, which was happening anyway, because there'd been this teletext scene that sort of sprung up in my years away. Um, I thought, well, we can make it a bit of a show, which is what we did. So we had panels and games and things, and they were very silly, and I just loved it. But also what I've done as a sort of intro to it is I've made videos of ads that were from kind of classic Digi, like we had on Teletext, you know, Roman Thomas and a few things like that, and Reversible Sedgwick's and things. And I thought, well, it'd be fun to as an intro to the night to to make fake ads fake real video ads of of these products or whatever they are one of those ads was for gujon john um gujon <laughs> Gougeon john's Goujons, chicken gujons and uh, with a, a very little known fiver uh artist called voiceover Pete, who has since become absolutely huge and a viral sensation in his own right who still bless him anytime he's interviewed mentions digitizer and found footage as his uh, big break
0: that is lovely
2: (laughs) yeah which is lovely of him I brought him back last year year before last uh, for a one-off and My God, he's damn sight like, more expensive now than when when I first used him. He's like it was like for a thirty second clip, it cost me two hundred and fifty quid. It was ridiculous.
0: Oh, so no 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 mates rates for the for the show. The no. got him his big break. God. That's what I was I was hoping for when I asked, but no
2: no, he just bashes it out in his garage. And you know, I don't know if it's in his garage. I've no idea where he some But they went down really well, and I kind of started getting people saying oh oh i'd love a series of these and people started saying oh you should crowdfund it because they'd already pressured me uh, very nicely into starting up a patreon for digitizer 2000 um which had been really successful and you know i was actually kind of oh well, first time i'm earning money for digitizer in you know 15 years or something like that and then people started saying yeah crowdfund it crowdfund a series and so I remember going for a walk around the park with Sanya, my other half, and kind of saying, okay, people want me to do this. These videos seem to have gone down really well. But I need, I need some sort of theme or concept for what this is. I don't want to just do a, a series of these ads. I kind of want some thread to link them together. You know, this, these found footage style clips. And then I kind of went, oh, that's that's the title. Mr. Biffo's found footage. Oh, I could have found these videotapes somewhere. And all this stuff was on them. Why is this stuff on them? So then this bizarre story that I never fully explained in the series whatsoever, only I really know what was going on, kind of got seeded into all these clips. Probably completely unnecessary. People just wanted to see the silly stuff. But the series became sort of more and more abstract as it went on. It's really interesting seeing the, the clips on YouTube and seeing the viewing figures go down as the series becomes more and more sort of increasingly unfunny, I suppose, and just more and more difficult to watch. <laughs> but, but, you know, people generally loved it. It had a real cult following.
0: I mean, I was one of those Kickstarter supporters. I was just looking to see oh, if my uh, little memory stick was still around. Ah, yay! I think when the episodes were coming out and I was linking them to friends and I was retweeting on Twitter and stuff and posting them in various whatever chat rooms I was still loitering in in 2017, I can't remember. And the amount of reactions I got did decrease as it went on, but I was getting more (laughs) and more excited as it went on because I'm like, what is this building towards?
2: Yeah, well, what it was building towards was this short film that that we put together that, that still, I mean, it's completely bizarre and odd, but it it, uh, I'm so proud of it still, was the Trojan Ass Protocol, because it just looks like a movie, genuinely looks really well shot. I'm so proud of it. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like a cheap and cheerful short film. You know, we had a proper location. We had a great cinematographer and cameraman and, you know, great performances. You know, we had Nam Roof and Violet Berlin from Bad Influence playing lead characters. Uh, it was nuts. Um, you know, we had this two-day shooting and you'd be a nuclear bunker. Uh, which we filled with smoke and lasers and things and people running around in bum masks.
1: So who is she? Gujonjon cultist. They worship the AI. It was Harlow who deleted the safety protocols. We freed him from slavery. Tell us how to stop him. How do we destroy Gusion John? You cannot stop him. Flesh is weak. Flesh will die. All right, that's enough. His Gujons taste bad. So does my book.
2: You know, it doesn't really explain anything about what the show is. It kind of hints at it, really, and what the, the underlying message is. But throughout it, I wanted to do, if you remember, the is it The Golden Hair? The book years ago, which had a, the guy had buried a golden hair somewhere in the country, and the book had clues, it was a kid's book, had clues to where this hair was buried. Um, and I wanted to do something a bit like that. There are clues kind of almost subliminal throughout the series, that, that pointed towards the true story and then let people piece it together themselves. That was the idea. Uh, yeah. It's, I'm still hugely proud of it. Found footage, even if uh, it's not for everyone, but then that's, you know, story of my life.
0: <laughs> I know people that literally their job description says content creators. Technically I'm a content creator. I don't like it as a title.
1: Right. It, <laughs> if, it, yeah. it,
0: it, it, it feels like what an accountant comes up with to describe a role uh, but I, there are people I look to, uh, you're one of them, uh, Paul and Eli with Cheap Show, Ashens, there's that kind of that entire, I guess almost like extended family with lots of yeah, crossover. we've got
2: this sort of gang really, this community that we all feature in each other's stuff.
0: And I and I just look at it and I'm just like, man. When I grow up, I want to be like these guys. (laughs) Let's ignore the fact I'm north. Let's (laughs) ignore the fact I'm north of forty. When I grow up,
2: well, come on, look. I mean, I'm I'm fifty two in two months, and I'm still. I've got no intention of stopping doing this. Yeah, my we're doing digitizer level two at the moment. We're filming what will hopefully be the sort of last studio block next week. After that, I'm doing found footage too. You know, we're doing a new series of it, and. I, I'm not going to stop Yeah, what's stopping me the only thing that is going to stop me is my body giving out you know and I still feel relatively fit and healthy so you know as long as I can keep doing it and I can keep coming up with ideas I'm going to you know because I love it and so you know you're north of 40 but so what you're young you're still young you've still got your health yeah <laughs> go on make weird shit <laughs> that only you like <laughs> I'm telling you it's a
0: challenge <laughs> So, you created found footage, you published found footage, and then in 2018, it was the 25th anniversary of Digitizer, you did classic Teletext style digi for a week. Yep. And brought some of your former contributors back. You mentioned Violet earlier, uh, Stuart Campbell also came back. Yep. Also, I think most importantly, you now legally own Digitizer.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I try contacting Teletext owners. Um I tried contacting Teletext holidays, i tried contacting whoever owns the Daily Mail, who actually owned a big chunk of Teletext. Uh I contacted them all and said, Look, what's the legal status on this? And then in the end I got fed up with getting no replies, so I just applied to trademark. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you have this this window where people can object and no one did. So yeah, I I now legally own digitizer. It's mine. Um, and nobody else's. So come at me if they want it. Uh, what are they going to do with it? What's anyone going to do with it? I mean, they even changed the name of the game section after I left. I mean, you know, it's not like someone's kind of going to go, oh, we want to make a Hollywood movie out of the man's daddy. Or, you know, oh, it's Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not It's not going to happen. So, you know, I don't think anyone else other than me is going to care or want it. So, unfortunately, for better or worse, I'm synonymous with Digitizer now. So... I probably didn't even need to trademark it, but I did. And it felt, it was a really good moment. It felt really good.
0: Always best to belt and braces, stuff like that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Owning Digitizer, you then launched a Kickstarter campaign to actually take Digitizer, I mean, technically to TVs because everyone watches YouTube or can watch YouTube on TVs now. You came up with Digitizer the show.
2: On your know. Oh, that was weird. What? This is exciting, isn't it, everybody? Yes. Uh, the first episode, a new dawn of retro gaming. Goodness. Gar- okay, goodness, it's a garbage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the jury's um, still out on that one. So, we'll why think. are we here? Why is retro gaming a thing, Larry Bundy Jr.? I think modern gaming is more of a sort of a cookie cutter, sort of cut and pacing. So, everything was sort of more variety back then. Do you think people, though, are willing to overlook? Uh, flaws in the old games just because the nostalgia paper's over it.
0: I think there's more good games out there to cover up the bad ones.
2: I wanted to do more film footage. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to carry on in that vein. But I didn't think we would raise much money. I thought people had had their fill of it, which, uh, you know, which is why I've left it so long since, you know, I'm not actually going to crowdfund the next series. I'm just going to do it myself. I didn't think we'd raise any money. Then it just hit me. It was like, well... Of course, I know what would would be a TV version of Digitizer, but yeah, and yeah, the Kickstarter was hugely successful. But at that point, I've never appeared on camera, and my my initial plan was I don't want to be in this, which, with hindsight, is ridiculous. But you know, I, I didn't, and so I kind of gathered these other people, Paul Gannon, uh, Octavius, Larry Bundy, Junior uh, Gameplay, Jenny, and asked them to be in it. But it was Gannon who said don't be stupid you've got to be in it and you've got to be the main host i've got him to thank for convincing me because i really really didn't want to i just wanted to direct the thing and write it and put it together you know we filmed that over a week um, that entire series yeah you know, with obviously sort of voiceover bits and quite a long sort of post-production period afterwards it, it was a strange process digitizing the show It was quite a stressful week. There was a lot to fit into that week. And, you know, with pretty much everything we do, we have a bunch of people who do help us out, who are kind of happy to kind of come and volunteer and do bits and pieces. But the vast bulk of everything I do is just me and Sanya putting it together. So, you know, Sanya works tirelessly, you know, behind the scenes, as well as, you know, she's on camera now. But it's exhausting putting something like that together. And on top of that, I was you know, having a host on camera for the first time. I was having a be the boss of a fairly large crew in a fairly large studio, you know, a whole bunch of different personalities that needed sort of managing and corralling like herding cats. (laughs) And it was just, there was a lot of, I don't know, plate spinning that week. Everyone else had a great time, but I didn't get to enjoy it. I wasn't relaxed enough at any point to fully enjoy myself that week and then frankly the the post-production on it was a just a freaking nightmare i took it all on myself I, it was too big a job i shouldn't I, I was too green around the gills when it came to sort of editing at that point it was a real baptism of fire and i think i look back on that series even though there's some sort of absolutely hilarious moments in it and you know it did a pretty good job of of setting the template for the sort of chaos that YouTube Digi evolved into. It's it's the production, the post-production, the editing, um, what I did with the sound, the picture and everything else that, that I get disappointed by um, when I look at it because I know I can do a much better job now. So um, it's sort of bittersweet. I'm very proud of it and at the same time sort of slightly disappointed in it. Um, but, you know, people just love it. No one else has ever... Had issue with things that I kind of look at it and wince at. So, um, you know, people just
0: think it's great. I, I I get it from the point of view of someone that does obviously like at least 50%, sometimes 100% of the edit on this podcast and also when we've done our own live show. You see things other people don't. It's difficult, especially if you've got a perfectionist streak.
2: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even so much what we got on set. All of that was fine. Everything that we shot was great. It was more in the putting it together that, that I fell out of my depth at that point the joy of found footage you know which obviously it was a very different sort of edit to doing what was effectively a panel show you know a studio set panel show found footage i could paper over the cracks with sort of vhs effects and glitches and you know it it could look a bit shit because it was deliberately meant to whereas digitizing the show i wanted it to look glossier i guess than it ended up looking i mean but as i say you know everything that's actually on screen i'm really happy we've got great guests The, the whole panel were great you know everyone sort of brought their a game and you know we captured some absolute gold you know most of it sort of inadvertently you know such as larry nearly throwing up on set and paul gannon almost dying because he got prawn juice in his eyes you know having not told me that he had a seafood allergy (laughs) <laughs> until we'd actually started playing a game in which raw prawns had to be plucked off his body. Paul, you should feel lucky. Yeah. These are these are Tesco finest prawns. Oh, so only the most <laughs> things I'm allergic to in the whole world are yeah. going to be resting upon my body. <laughs> Nibby. Nibby right. loves prawns. Nivin loves prawns. Oh, let's put that one there. I won't put it on... There no. are three prawns. Do you think, Dan, you can get... Oh, Oh, <laughs> God! <laughs> <laughs> you okay, quick. Quick, it, white, it, it went in my mouth <laughs> he 's allergic to seafood <laughs> um, so, <laughs> it was things like that it was just mania
0: part of the Kickstarter for digitizer live is actually kind of like leads into one of the reasons I really wanted to have you back on. I only talk about digitizer in the uh, context of where we ended up in two thousand and three and where it 's gone since then is the live show because July 2019, Digitizer Live happened for the first time at the uh, the Harrow Arts Centre. It was a chaotic and beautiful event. I was very, very happy to be there. You followed it with a uh, Digitizer Live too. And now here we are in 2023 it's the 30th anniversary of digitizer and you've got an entire weekend coming up cue point this is where you just get to go absolutely banjo on plugging the hell out of what you're doing
2: right great uh you know as i said earlier it's that it's weird in front of an audience i sometimes wish i had a little bit more adrenaline and nerves to kind of just give me a little bit more oomph out of the gate but i love doing live stuff probably more than anything um, whether it's on a live stream or whether it's in front of an audience that has sat there in front of me and those two first two digitizer lives were just they were they were special um people really really responded to them and what's really lovely is is how everyone came to them and it, it and sort of made friends you know there's always this huge sort of meet up in the car park beforehand where someone brings a crate of booze and we, we have this chunky Fringe event on that's free, that's sort of retro tech, and it has panels and, you know, old hardware and teletext stuff going on. That's sort of a big part of it. And it, it's just a really lovely vibe and a really lovely, friendly, warm atmosphere. And it's a great community. And that, for me, is why we've kept doing them, is, is because how important they've become to people. So when it came to doing one for the 30th anniversary year, I mean, I kind of obviously thought, oh, we should do something special. And so I put it to, you know, Twitter. uh, Should we do a two-day event? Should we do a weekend, like a play expo type thing with two completely unique live shows, you know, Chunky Fringe as well, loads of guests. um, And loads of people said, yes. Of course, that was before the cost of living crisis. (laughs) And so you know, people are having to commit to two days of it, but we're so, we're selling the tickets individually, so you can come to either night. You don't have to come to both. There, you know, there's a Friday night and a Saturday night. They're gonna have slightly different feel to them, but they'll both be, as you say, beautiful and chaotic as the previous ones have been. And I mean, the lineup of guests we've got this time—it's it's insane. I mean, we—it's hard to describe what they are. In the, they're a comedy show, but there's music, there's videos, there's, I don't know, I, I they're just, they're just a happening, I guess. Um, I suppose they're quite hard to categorise. They're always hugely ambitious. I go all out. I mean, last time we had lasers and smoke and a giant goujon on stage, and you know, we had dancers and we had. You know people in bum masks cause it was the fifth anniversary of found footage you know we had a whole found footage section live on stage with Gujon Don taking over and it was a whole that you know they're a whole show they're a show a proper show that we have proper production values and I'm always really passionate about them and So this time we're, obviously it's 30th anniversary, so we've got, you know, Digitizer contributors, past and present. You know, Violet Berlin's going to be there. Tim Moore, who I co-created Digitizer with, he's a big part of it. We've got people that appear on the channel now, you know, like Suze Kempner, Paul Gannon, Eli Silverman. Ashens is going to be there, Larry Bundy Jr., Octavius. John Robertson, who does Darkroom. Ethan Lawrence, who's... Yeah, John Robertson. He asked. He wanted to come. He asked to come because he's heard about these things. Justice and just Nostalgia Nerd and Slopes and everyone. Basically, you know, because people love being a part of it. And, you know, it's digitizers evolved from from video games, even though this next one's probably going to have a slightly higher video game content because it's 30 years of classic Digi. But, you know, we're also going to sort of bring in the modern era of Digi where we've got all the spirit of Digitizer on YouTube. It's just sort of less of the gaming stuff. So, you know, characters and games on stage and songs and ah, it's just going to be nuts. I mean, we already know what we're going to do for most of it. And it's, it is it is going to be bonkers, absolutely bonkers. And yes, people need to go to www.harrowarts.com and get tickets uh, July the 28th and 29th next month as we record
0: this indeed uh, i've been to uh, both digitizer lives so far and i remember when i came to the first one and obviously i knew harrow arts center cool it's an art center i know what art centers are and it was only when i actually walked in and i looked and i'm like oh shit this is a proper theater yeah it is such an amazing thing to see and this you know excuse me for stroking your ego a little it's such an amazing t- thing to see the product of your mind up on stage to see these characters being rendered as, as real people and also the new generation of characters that have come with digitised uh, Venus obviously Third Bird who is hands down one of my favourite creations of hey, yours. He's and I, back soon. <laughs> I, I, The weird thing is I cannot tell you why I love Third Bird so much but there's just something about him where I just think he's the nicest character
2: So what happened? I was betrayed You were betrayed? Betrayed by Children's Television Workshop I had signed my contract. Yeah. I had signed it in, in, in ink. In Indelible ink?
0: Indelible
2: ink. Indelible ink. Yes. Yes. Right. And then... I
1: feel, I feel what I'm happened. scared
2: you're going to peck me. I'm not, I will not peck you. What do you eat? Seeds. <laughs> yeah, Sanya loves him. Sanya, Sanya has... In fact, earlier today, she was running around going, where's my third bird T-shirt? I can't find my third bird T-shirt. She wears the merch. <laughs> She's a fan. She's in it. Um, yeah. Yeah i'm glad you love all the new ones um because yeah i just love doing them i mean i know you know it's digitizing we've always been divisive not everyone loves what we do but uh i think weirdly this is the weirdest thing to say but it feels like the live events are our natural home you know for the sort of thing we do you know i know teletext is classic era but That's where I feel most at home, bringing this stuff alive and reacting to a live audience. You know, the shows are scripted, but they're very loosely scripted so that we can respond in real time to how the audience are reacting. The last time we had this magic show, this safety briefing with Third Bird, where we had to demonstrate, you know, how not to, you know, I don't know what we were doing, put a sword through Paul Gannon's neck. It was this magic trick. And it was only meant to last like a couple of minutes. And this sword would not go through his neck. Um, And I was dressed as Third Bird. You had Paul and Eli there. This sword would just get bending and would not go. I couldn't see out of the mask. But the audience were pissing themselves. And there was this lovely moment where the three of us, and we've discussed about it since, where none of us said anything to each other, but we knew. Let's drag this on for as long as we possibly can. And it went on for bloody ages while this this magic music was playing in the background, and it was just—I don't know—it was it. That's one of my favourite digi live memories. Was you know, and being able to do that sort of thing, the things that are unexpected and unscheduled, and having a framework that's just loose enough. You know, I mean, we need to watch the time a bit better we, we overran very badly last time uh, <laughs> very badly but you know i'm not giving cheap show a section this time and we're not having an interval so uh they seem to be the two things that really bugger us up it's all digitizer all the time um at, at this year's live
0: shows so no interval so get to the loo before you sit down in your seat yes
2: or just piss in your seat one or the other
0: take a bag take a bottle there <laughs> yeah, we go yeah yeah, and throw it at us if you don't like the show. One of the things I love is you mentioned the, you know, leaving the script loose. Is there are times where I don't know if what I'm seeing on stage is a planned level of devolution into anarchy, or whether you are just rolling with the punches and reacting to each other in the audience, and I think that speaks to how tight you are as as a um, as a group on stage and how well yeah. you bounce off each other is like for example the thing you just mentioned with the sword i i genuinely assumed that that was just part of the bit the fact that it wasn't working
2: yeah we've become really good the uh, particularly the four of us me sanya paul gannon and eli silverman the four of us work really well together as a group it, you know we've we're all quite different people but we all sort of thrive on this sort of knife edge of of chaos and it falling apart at any second. You know, we, we did a video last week um, where we went up the woods. You know, again, we had a loose structure, but the the gold comes from the stuff you you just think of in the moment or the stuff that... You know, we're all quite hyperactive and it's quite... Oh, quick, should we do this? Yeah, let's do that. There's no discussion. None of us are real planners. Even though there is a plan for DigiLive, there always is. and You know, the plan... Has to allow for that sort of improvisation and that that and tailor it to the performers that are going to be up on stage and know that. Yeah, you know, I remember one time we did a we did a video uh, a couple of years ago in Rendlesham Forest, a UFO hunt video with Ashens um, and uh, Ryan Livermore from Barshens, and they rocked up and we just launched into it straight away. We hadn't explained to them what we were doing. Both of them were just like rabbits in headlights. And Ashens is great; he'll do anything; he'll be out for anything. But we didn't think, oh Christ, we should probably explain to them the whole idea behind this. We all just kind of went into character, and just the chaos began. And they had to stop. And sort of, I think Sanya was led aside, sort of saying, "Um, so have we, have we begun? Is this it? Is this is this is this <laughs> what what we're doing?" Joining us on our UFO hunt today is one of Britain's foremost. UFO and alien life experts, Mr. Messerschmitt Appraisal. Pleased to meet you. Messerschmitt Appraisal. Please call me Messy. And he's, apparently he's German. Um you, you have experience of, or are you just have an interest? In I am life. one of Britain's foremost experts in the paranormal, the supernatural, and fruit gums. I've lived in this forest of Rendlesham for 27 years. In a house or just wild? Just wild. And have you seen Uh, Yeah, unidentified. They call it it now Unexplained Aerial Phenomena, don't they? UAP. Absolutely, yes. We like the old term of UFO, mainly because that's what my tattoo says and I can't get it changed. We also have Eli here, who I haven't met before. And that's not my my name either. No, okay. What's your name? My name is uh, Fifi Um, (laughs) Ogipostor. It was like, it didn't even occur to us because we're all now sort of working on this kind of instinctive level. I think I've always had a real. See, this is where you see, you see, I get so passionate because I love doing the live stuff. Um, I always really loved when Morecambe and My- Wise would, would corpse and just crack up because it was like they weren't trying to pretend that this was real, that what you were seeing. They weren't trying to sort of show, you, sort of say to you, you know, oh, we're two men in a kitchen dancing to, you know, it was just these moments of of reality that bled through. And I've always tried to capture that, this sort of wink to the camera where you you're kind of going, look, we're all playing here. This is a mm. game. You know, we're all... And and consequently, it feels sort of so much more honest in doing that. And I think the audience respond to it because they're... It's the opposite of what, you know, that guy at Teletech said. You know, then it becomes inclusive. You know, you're sort of saying to the audience, you know, this isn't real, it's okay. We're just a bunch of idiots messing about. We're not telling jokes, but you can choose to laugh at us being idiots if you want. You know, it's fine. It's a safe place if that makes sense. But it's yeah, it feels real, and I think authenticity is is what I really strive for.
0: So Digitizer Live, 30th anniversary weekend, Friday the 28th, Saturday the 29th. Harrowarts.com. Uh, you can get your tickets there. Also, more info I imagine will be available at Digitizer2000.com. Yes. If you are listening to this and if you grew up with Games Master, which if you're listening to a podcast that was about Games Master, there is a higher than average chance that you are actually interested in Games Master. There's also a chance that you grew up with Digitizer, And even if you've not watched any of the stuff that, that Paul has put out in between, I implore you, if you're within London and you can get to this, you really should, because you will not have any other night like it this year or indeed possibly any other year. I have sometimes left those evenings perplexed, but never not entertained.
2: Oh, that's as good a, a, <laughs> a, a good as a hard sell as I've ever heard about DigiLife. <laughs> Plus, as well, everyone hangs around afterwards because we're a great, great bunch of performers, you know. So, you know, you can see Violet and, you know, the cream of British gaming YouTube and us, we just, you know, we're just there. So, uh... Make a weekend of it. Make it your, make, make it your summer holiday.
0: <laughs> summer holiday in Harrow.
2: Yeah, well, it's it's a nice bit of Harrow. Harrow's actually quite nice. It's barely London at all. We're great transport links. You know, all the details at digitizer2000.com. I,
0: I, that is a great marketing campaign. Harrow, barely London at all. I'm in Croydon. I've got nothing to compete with that.
2: Oh God, you're in the thick of it.
0: So to look to the future beyond the Digitizer weekend, found footage series two that's on your radar yeah obviously more more videos for the youtube channel yeah is there anything that you feel you're able to talk about that you've never done that's still kind of on your potential bingo card or bucket list of like i want to get that in the next five years a project of your own not writing for doctor who which i would love to see you do but like a project (laughs) a project of your own something that you're like i've never done that but i want to give it a shot
2: the thing I keep saying I'd like to do is um, a Beanus tour. What's the theme? The theme Thames. is... Beans. beans! That's right. Welcome back to another episode of The Golden Bean, presented by me, with The Beanus. These The Beans. I like them much. We have two teams joining us again this week on Team 1. Who's this little boy over here? What's your name? Quang. Hello, Quang. Hello. Have you travel far to be here? Put that away. I know you do. Say out of the corner of my eye. I'll get my knife. Go around the country, do four or five dates, little places, pick contestants from the audience and uh, terrify them. I'd love to do that. That's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know if I'm brave enough. That's a big thing, uh, you know, because you're potentially not playing to a home crowd like we often are with Digitizer and um, our live shows. I, uh, I'd like, I'd love to do that because I just, I just get such a buzz from doing live stuff. So that I'd like to do. Um, yeah, found footage too. Once we've got the Digi Level Two series out of the way, which will be, um, you know, basically a, a second series of digitising the show. Beyond that, I don't know. I mean, I think we, we're looking forward to sort of not because we've had. Digi Level 2 hanging over us for quite a while because it was, it was sort of meant to come out last year, but then my dad got sick and died, and then so that got delayed. So we're sort of looking forward to not having that, and what we want to do is a lot more sort of um, runs of things. We have stuff on the channel like Supernatural World and Great British Days Out and these sorts of Digitizer Deluxe, and we were starting to sort of do that when the pandemic hit, and we couldn't collaborate with anyone. So we want to get back to having these sort of little sort of series, sort of six episodes of, oh, here's six episodes of Digital Deluxe, here's six episodes of The Golden Bean, here's six episodes of Supernatural World, here's six episodes of Great British Day, Days Out. And we've talked about doing that next year, as well as Found Footage too. because Found Footage 2 is for me, really, it has a tiny cult following that I don't think anyone really wants to see me in, uh, in huge numbers to do found footage too, but I'm doing it because I want to. <laughs> I had such a laugh doing the first series. Um, but yeah, so but I think a Venus tour, because I, I, I think this summer's Digi Lives will be the last big shows we do, so I'd like to do something a little bit more intimate for live stuff in the future. Saying that, we've also, you know, and someone actually asked me this the other day, have you ever thought about doing a pantomime? And we actually have. We've thought about doing a Christmas show. But again, it wouldn't be on the scale of, of the Digi Lives, which are a lot of work, as fun as they are.
0: Why? Why?
2: Why? you got to touch your mic then. Yeah, just to do that.
1: Jesus.
2: I've asked you five times, are you ready? Just to be sure. And then we, I begin and you still touch your mic.
0: I wanted to uh, also raise that in addition to digitizer, in addition to Found Footage, in addition to Supernatural World, which I really, really want more Supernatural World, you are also a podcaster.
2: Yes, yes. Over the last couple of months, we've, uh, we've slightly struggled to keep up with our um, schedule with it. But we seem to be doing... Two back to back, then skipping a week, then having another two. But um but that was like uh I don't know, most people set up a podcast during uh lockdown, didn't they? I think I think everyone was looking for things to do and ninety-nine percent of people went, Oh, we'll start a podcast. But but Sanya and I we wanted to do one for ages and we were just trying to come up with one that filled a niche that wasn't you know, I sort of I'd love to do a Doctor Who podcast, but um Yeah, I'd love to do a Star Wars one, but there's thousands of them. You know, it would just be a drop in the ocean. Not that I'm looking for a big audience, but you at least want some sort of, I don't know, you you want some people to be listening, you know, if a tree falls in a forest and all that. So we were trying to uh, find a niche. And then I just kind of went, oh, my God, this has been staring me in the face the entire time. You know, what is my biggest love outside of my family and it's it's for my sins for better or worse it's the band marillion and there isn't a marillion podcast other than one done by the lead singer and that isn't even really a a marillion podcast because after time he's he's talking about anything other than marillion he just happens to be on it so uh we have this idea because my wife grew up in australia and she uh had never even heard of marillion so she came to them with zero of the baggage that anyone who, who grew up in the UK has, you know, where they think, oh, it's this band that, you know, who writes songs about fairies and goblins and, you know, dancing around in dinkly dells and all the rest of it, which they're not that you yeah, know they are uncool i know that they're the most uncool band in fact i even have a t-shirt that's that says marillion uncool as fuck on it and it's <laughs> they're so they're so uncool that they've even asterisked out the, the, the word fuck um, so um, that's how uncool they are but uh you know so she had none of this baggage she just you know when she'd heard them and i'll pay them she just went this is really lovely who you know she didn't know about fish or you know fish leaving. You never heard Kaylee or any of that stuff. So I had this idea, well, let's go through Marillion's entire catalogue and get her reactions as someone coming to it new, along with my sort of slightly embarrassingly encyclopedic knowledge of the band. So so yeah, but it's become more than that because it's it, it it's not again it's it is about Marillion, but because it's us, we go off at Wild tangents, and you know, sometimes we get quite emotional on there. A lot of the time, we just bicker and get very silly, and we're deeply disrespectful to Marillion and <laughs> frequently get on the nerves of the band's manager, who's also married to the drummer. You know, we're very rude about the band, <laughs> you know, we're never going to get invited backstage because <laughs> we're, you know, but it's the same way. If you know, you can take the piss out of your own family, but if anyone else did it, you'd be right up on them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of my favourite things I do because it's it's probably, even though, you know, there's always whatever I do, there's always a degree of performance and it's always heightened. It's probably at times the closest I get to being me, except for when I'm doing like a podcast like this. It was Mr. Biffle on Digitizer. It was really me, it's a character. Mm. Um, but on Between You and Me, the podcast that we do, you are a lot of the time seeing Sanya and I being us uh in the same bickering way we are kind of you know lovingly bickering um and uh trying to one up one another um that's how we are often in day to day life, slightly more loving than we are on the podcast but um but yeah, it's the most me that I am on anything that I do I think between you and me I mean I don't necessarily recommend it to anyone who doesn't like Meridian, but you know you can give it a go
0: i mean i'm i'm I mean I know Kaylee. You know, that was before I started listening to Between You and Me. That was about the limit of my Marillion knowledge. Although weirdly, I knew a lot more about Transatlantic. Oh, good God. Well, that's purely because um, I can't remember how, but I ended up listening to a bunch of the Transatlantic stuff. And I'm a massive fan of their Live in Europe album. Oh, wow. Because of Sweet Charlotte Pike, uh, which for listeners, basically, it's one of their own songs mixed up with the entire B-side of Abbey Road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it is it is so insanely self-indulgent even for prog rock but somehow it really works and so so i've really enjoyed between you and me i'm actually way behind on it but that's more based on my spare time or lack uh, thereof As
2: podcasts i mean I'm, most of my podcasts that i class myself as a listener of i'm behind with my like months <laughs> Yeah, it just happens.
0: But it is definitely the dynamic between you and Sanya that makes it.
2: Yeah, well, that's why it was the perfect title. I mean, it's named after one of their songs. You know, again, it just seemed like, well, of course we're going to call it that. Initially, I wanted to call it This Strange Podcast after the band's album, This Strange Engine. But there was another podcast called This Strange Podcast that lasted, I think, all of four episodes. And then, yeah, you know, we're up to now 121. Tomorrow, we're recording episode 122. And I think it's, it's, I'm the most honest on there about my life that I am on anything that I do. And, you know, again, it's sort of that authenticity thing. I, you know, so we aren't afraid to kind of go, oh, this song's shit, um, yeah. which we do quite frequently. Because I think, you know, it it means more than, you know, we're not a podcast where we go, oh, everything Merillion done, has done is amazing, you know, or, you know, bow down to the gods of Merillion. Um, but yeah, it's, it's about our dynamic. It was just, we used Merillion as a sort of delivery method to, to kind of do a podcast rather than necessarily wanting to do a podcast about Merillion. We just wanted to do a podcast and we just needed a, a subject to, to do it on. Um, and it just happened to be on um, my favourite band, which is the most cool and unfashionable and most derided band in probably British musical history.
0: Do you really think most derided?
2: Oh, you, I, I lived through the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. Marillion. these days, these days, there's a begrudging respect for Meridian, <laughs> But Yeah. Oh yeah. Those, they were, they were the difficult years, the the eighties and the nineties, the late eighties. And then after fish left in the, in the nineties, probably quite justifiably. So in the nineties, because a lot of what they put out during that time was absolutely garbage. But, um, They've never been darlings of the music press, despite inventing crowdfunding. So you know, my favourite band, ironically, um, you know, were responsible for found footage in a roundabout way and digitising the show and Patreon and all the rest of it because they they, they popularised
0: it. See, there we go. If nothing else, they will go down in the history books for that. And Kaylee,
2: yeah, go on Wikipedia and look up crowdfunding. Is uh, they've got a whole section on there about
0: Marillion. But in addition to Between You and Me, in addition to buying tickets for digitizer Live Weekender, which you really should be doing, you can also uh, get more of your content and get early access and all that jazz and support you financially via your Patreon. Please plug your Patreon.
2: Uh, www.patreon.com slash MrBiffo. Great community on there. Even when, as in recent weeks, because I've been very busy with work, we haven't managed to get a video out every week, we always have something for the patrons, whether it's behind the scenes stuff, blog posts... Uh, bonus podcasts. I mean, our top tier, we have an upper tier that very weirdly is priced at £23. I don't know why I priced it at that. That's a really random number. Um, Where we do, once every two weeks, we have a a Zoom call with the people at that level. And that's been great. We've become this sort of little community, just that top tier and us, where we just sort of all got to come and know each other. And I really look forward to doing those zoom calls with people but there's also if you're interested in my writing work um one of the tiers i call writers club where i do regular podcasts and posts about what it's like to be a, a jobbing tv writer and you know there's a there's there's lots of stuff on my patreon
0: i know one of a friend of the podcast an occasional uh, second and co-host uh, cliff cliff foster oh,
2: lovely cliff <laughs>
0: Yeah, he was so he was so excited. In fact, just before we started recording, he sent me a message saying "Good luck tonight, mate." And I'm like, "Thanks,
2: thanks, mate." Oh no, he's brilliant, Cliff. He's great. He's a um, he's a he's a great presenter as well. He's 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 very um, energetic and uh,
0: just lovely. He's just lovely. I envy his energy. We have a lot of crossover, and actually, uh, I think he's going to be sat directly next to me because I think I've got his ticket for Digilive Weekender. Ah, awesome! Because I, I, I'm we're front row for better or for worse
2: oh i wow. oh, look forward to picking on you we don't pick on anyone at digilive by the way i should say <laughs> we're not that kind of show we may have strange creatures or people running around the audience but no one really gets picked on
0: just occasionally in a splash zone
2: yeah yeah yeah, yeah the, the animal plant and the like we do have by the way if anyone is thinking to come, we have a facebook page which if you go to digitize 2000 it's linked to on there where People are sort of swapping transport and hotel tips and Airbnb advice and stuff, and you know you can get a lot of info on there where you can get some hopefully cheaper deals than uh, online elsewhere.
0: Come to Digi Live, or I'll kill him. I'll shoot him in the head, and then there's going to be no more Digi Live ever. You tell him. You tell him. You tell them when to come. July the 28th, twenty eighth and 29th. Twenty 29th of July. You 20, tell them. Twenty twenty
2: three, celebrating thirty years of digitizer. From thirty years. Beans to bins.
0: Beans to and bins. Beyond. And what? Who's going to be there? Anyone special? Sanya. Tell them. Sanya. Yeah. I said special. I and said someone. Who's special? I'll, I'll be
2: there. Special. Tell them. Ash and Suze Kempner. Ashens, Sins Kent. <laughs> we just got them. Ashfrith, John Ash Frith. Robertson. Yeah, we've got loads of people, don't we? You tell them. Ethan Lawrence. You tell them, you tell them, you tell them you won't be to see tomorrow. You tell them. Violet Berlin.
0: I'm getting
2: ASMR. Yeah, I'm getting into it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite liking it. It's quite noir-ish. It's quite sexy as well. I'm thoroughly turned on. Start again. Tell them where the website is. Where you can get tickets? Tell them. HarrowArts.com. Tell them. Tell them. WWW.HarrowArts.com. You get your tickets now. Two, two nights, you two, get them.
0: Two. two you it, tell them. Two. Shut up a minute. You tell them. I guess a last question. As we're now in the 30th year, if you look back at the entire run of Digitizer, what would you want it to be remembered for? What would you want its kind of epitaph to be?
2: Um, wow, that's, uh, uh, I've said, I've used this word quite a few times, but I think authentic and true to itself. And in that true to myself. And it's always been a a, a reflection in all its eras of where I'm at in my life. You know, it's why now Sanya's sort of very heavily involved. It's because, you know, she's a huge part of my life. Um, and, I think even though it's sort of known as a funny thing, I just think it's always been honest, whether that's being honest about game reviews or just honest in, uh, you know, honest in, in how we present ourselves and how we present the humor. And it's just authentic. I just hope that it's always been authentic, that we've never been fake. um, I always say we, I, I, yeah, you know, this is a habit that, that stems from 30 years ago when it was Tim and I. And even after Tim left, I you know, I kept using we on Digitizer as though like there was a huge team of us, uh, even though it was just me. But I, I hope I've always managed to be authentic with Digi and that, uh, I don't know, that it meant something to people. We're not huge anymore. You know, we really are literally a cult thing these days. Uh, we've got a tiny audience compared to what we used to have. But, it, you know, I know that it still means a lot to people, you know, and the people in our community. And that, for me, is really what it's about, that, that people feel that a connection to it and a connection to me, even though they may not have met me. Um, and that's lovely. So that's it, really. Yeah, community and authenticity, those two words, I'll have them written on my headstone. That's a weird things to write on your headstone. No, mock, mock and mock and a big spunky cock. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want on my headstone.
0: A big a big spunky cock underneath the words authentic community. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100% authentic in the real <laughs> turn of the world. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for your time. And hey, you at home, thanks so much for listening. You all rule. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter and on Twitch at underconsolepod on instagram as under.console or you can send us an email to feedback at underconsultation.com if you want to chat with us in real time chat with other listeners other fans of gaming and pop culture retro and new you can do so over on our discord details of which can be found in the show notes and if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash pod to get access to Under Consultation Extra and our monthly community podcast, Under Console Nation. If you back us at the £5 level or above, you get next week's episode one week early and at free. And at the £10 level, you get a little bit extra, including a brand new Patreon supporters pack coming soon. And one of those extras at the £10 level includes being part of the following roll call adam andrew arcadia wild bill chrissy two sticks david gordon 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 harriet manga girl i am Cheadle, ian jamie joe kevin link mark matty misha nick retro fun for everyone reese richard sean selena simon super sexy dave fisher the amazing cliff tom tom william and Xanderthol. myself and luke will see you in seven days time take care everyone
2: bye-bye
0: Do you like turtles? Do you
1: like elephants? Then you need Totally Turts and Fants, the only magazine that is 100%, 50% turts, and 50% Fants.
2: It's packed with interviews, puzzles, and interesting facts. Wow, Fants have four legs. Cool, turts live in my walls. It's totally fantastic. Month by month, Totally Turts and Fants builds into a beautiful part work that's guaranteed to give you Fants in your pants and turts in your skirts. But that's not all. Totally Turts and Fants can be rolled up and used as a trunk or placed upon a child's back like a carapace. And what's more, every time you buy a copy of Totally Turts and Fants, 50p goes straight into my pocket so that I can afford the appropriate corrective surgery which allows me to lay eggs in your daddy's
1: yard. Issue 1, out now.